Hi, my name is Trudy Rosquay and I am the founder of Vitality 40+. I am not only a master personal trainer specialising in women's and children's physical health, but also a menopause ambassador who is passionate about spreading the word and breaking all those mystical taboos over the M word. I have created a series of podcasts with a variety of guests, not only on women's health issues, but subjects that relate to men's health and well-being also, unlocking all the answers to questions that you may have wanted to ask, but unsure as to where to get the information. La 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 la. Why are you not working? Come on. La 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 la. Oh, sorry, I just realized that's recording. Hi, and welcome to another podcast for Vitality 40 Plus. Today's guest is a lady called Chloe Foss, who is the founder and governor of a Jersey registered charity called Tiny Seeds. Now, I'd never heard of them before. I will, uh, you know, apologize for that. But I do love sort of unraveling and discovering these charities that are there to help people. Um, and we, although we're talking Islanders, again, this is, you know, hopefully listening all over the world, but that we can suddenly start to embrace other issues um, that couples or women or men that face in their medical or health um, awareness and one of these, this charity was designed to support couples in fertility issues, as well as to help promote, educate, um, you know, us general public. So welcome, Chloe. Hi. <laughs> so I think, like I've said most times on my podcast, let's start at the beginning. Um, how did Tiny Seeds come into being? So Tiny Seeds began really as an idea. Um, when I was going through secondary infertility. So um, I've got a almost 11 year old son. Um, and when he was around two, we thought now's the time that we'd like to give him a brother or sister. Um, and it had been a little bit of a struggle to have him, but nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. It took us sort of six, seven months to conceive him. Um, so we were just starting to question whether maybe there was something going on um, and it happened. And then, so when it came to try for a sibling, um, we weren't too worried when it, at first it didn't happen because it had taken a while before. And then after a year we thought, okay, now's the time we probably need to go and get some investigations done. Anyway, so cut a very long story short it then was a long a very long six-year struggle um wow. IVF um and it was just very mentally draining physically draining financially draining um and there wasn't a huge amount of support on Ireland at the time um for people facing it and so like I say when I was going through it um I was forming the idea for something like Tiny Seeds to, to give the support that was needed, but I didn't have the energy at the time. I just didn't have the energy to set something up whilst going through it myself. So I kind of said all along, you know, if we get out of the other side of this, then, then we'll set, I'll set something up. Um, we finally did get out the other side of it. Um, and 
that was ended up being just a couple of months before COVID hit. Um, so I still had the idea and I was thinking I, I was going to do something when my daughter got a little bit older. Um, but then when COVID hit, it really accelerated the need for it because all the clinics shut down um, and everyone was just left, everyone going through infertility was just left not knowing what to do or where to turn really. So um, that's when Tiny Seas, like I say, it kind of accelerated the need for me to set it up. So that's when um, just towards the end of lockdown, I think we started with an online group and um, quite quickly could see how, this, how much the support was needed. Um, and it's just spiraled from there really. So for the first- Quite year, amazing. Yeah. you know amazing story to... <laughs> yeah no 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 um but if we just go back it, i mean this is just sort of questions that i come into my head that so uh, can i ask did you have any pro when you were having you know issues but maybe not like six months is sort of kind of like you know we half expect when, when we've all gone to get pregnant we expect it to like happen straight away did you have had you had any like endometriosis or any other medical issues at that point was there anything to indicate that you may have had a problem in conceiving at that point? No, no, no. I don't think, no. Um, and the um, doctors, had you been to the doctors at all during that time in that first six months? No, I did go, at, I went at six months and I say six, seven months, it was actually more like eight, nine months, I think that it took. Yeah, um, yeah. I went to the GP at about six months and said, I'm worried. I, I had a niggling, I know it sounds strange, I had a niggling feeling, I think, I don't know why. Um, that it wasn't going to be easy for us. Um, that's all I can really say. I, but we were, so I went to the GP at six months, um, but was dismissed at that six month mark because I was quite young. I, mean, I look back on it now and I'm pleased that we started trying when, when I was younger. But again, like I say, I was dismissed by the GP at that point, which I mean, right, I, not rightfully so, but then we no, did. No, no. We did see a couple of months later. So, okay. Yes. And, and how old were you at that point? That was so when my son, like I say, I was quite, I think it was 28 when I had my son. Okay. So that's quite a like a standard age now to be, you know, well, probably not actually, probably early, but I can remember I was about 28, 29 when we started having a family. And I thought I considered that to be quite late actually. But then I suppose as time has evolved, people are having later families now. Particularly uh, in Jersey, I think, due to um, obviously you can't, you don't know exactly what people's reasons are, but. Um, cost of living here is so high, of course, of course. Um, which I think does mean lots of people end up, you know, feeling that they need to progress in their career and be financially stable. Stable, and yeah. <laughs> is, is, is taking slightly longer um, than it would have done in the past. I think the maternal age at birth of first child here, the average age is something, is, 33 I think crikey um, that really has that really has gone up I mean my boys are now 20 21 and 16 so you know 17 sorry and it is significantly higher than the UK I can't remember the exact number for the UK but it's a good few years older here okay. um, which is possibly quite telling given yes well I, I totally agree and that you know we sort of won't touch on Jersey politics but now we're now we're looking at the fact that you're 28 so you had your had your son so and you waited for a couple of years, so you're 30. Yeah. And then how long did you leave it before you thought this isn't happening? I went to a year because, um, like I say, I was quite 
having it taken a while the first time I was yep. quite to go so at, at one at the one year mark I was like no we're gonna go with the same um and my GP was very good she referred us she did a the GPs generally will do a couple of blood tests um a month apart and then they should refer you on to the hospital which is what my GP did okay and I'm assuming that the 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 tests that we're talking about now would actually be anywhere in the I mean I say anywhere in the world but you know in the UK or anybody who's listening to this it's actually um just uh, <laughs> a point that it, you can actually have this done anyway so this would be a routine blood tests and then they take you to the hospital and then what happens when you're at the hospital so your GP would also want to see your partner um and they would okay. have a semen analysis and once those results are in you would then be referred on to the hospital um, or your local fertility clinic if you're not in Jersey or, um, yeah. And um, and then they would just start investigations from there, I guess, base it on, obviously look at the results of those blood tests and semen analysis. And if there's nothing identifiable there, you probably need an ultrasound. There'd be various other tests that they could look at. Um, I mean, it's not easy. They do to both of you or just to you? Generally, it will, in the first instance, it's generally just a semen analysis. Um, okay. If there's anything picked up, you know, if the, the numbers are particularly low, then there may be an ultrasound for the man as well. Um, okay. Generally, even though, so the statistics for fertility generally are roughly 30% would be due to the man, 30% due to the woman something problem with the woman and 30 percent a combination of both factors okay. um but even though those are the statistics the weight of the investigations and the treatment generally fall quite heavily on the woman yeah because you're emotionally trying to drive this forward um i would have thought from a physical and mental it's the nature of the treatment as well i guess because it's um even you know even if it comes back that it's male factor and you have low um a low sperm count the treatment perhaps if you're you know if they're recommended that IVF is the treatment the that falls on the woman really predominantly and the you know physically they're the one that has to go through the in injections and the egg retrieval and the embryo transfer so yeah. can you can you walk us through I mean I I know we're sort of doing a roundabout but this is a, so for me such a very interesting point I mean you know fortunately I didn't have to go through this but if there are people listening that might be considering this IVF treatment and how this help, you know, helps, how this, how, how can this help? So, so what actually starts off? So we've had the test, we've had the semen. So whether or not you've worked out whether your partner has a low semen account, but now you're going to go through egg retrieval as your first step. I mean, how intrusive is all of this? I mean, all the tests are, are very intrusive, really. It's, it's not an easy thing to go through. Um, the, uh, I mean, the ultrasounds are all internal. Um, and, you know, obviously when you're going through IVF again, it's a series of internal ultrasounds. Um, there's a kind of minor surgery, which is egg collection. Um, you've got obviously all the injections, you've got embryo transfer, you've got- Do you, do you, when you say injections, is that injecting into, do you have to inject every day or? So I guess, I guess let's try and rewind and start at the beginning. So. Um, IVF obviously is not going to be the course of treatment for everybody. Um, okay. So you'll go to your GP, um, it, depending on your age or if you've got any other factors, you, 
generally the advice is if you're over the age of 35 give it six months before going to your GP if you're under 35 give it a year um if you've got anything else any concerns you know say you've got irregular bleeding or pain or anything then go to your GP as soon as you know as soon as possible to get that investigated um once you're at your GP they will like I mentioned do those tests I mentioned and refer you on then once you get to that stage of the referral they will do some more tests and investigations um it will really depend on the results of those investigations as to what course of treatment you may need you know for example if they can identify that a lady is not ovulating they may be able to prescribe her ovulation inducing drugs um, and they can try that for a certain number of months and see if that works um, you know there again it may depend on age as to what they advise at this point and it will depend on how long a person has been trying it's generally again the guidance is um when people reach the two-year mark of trying um again like i say if nothing's been obviously identified then ivf is probably the course of treatment that's going to be recommended um again like we said with age if it's if you're a bit older they may recommend it sooner um just to sort of because obviously age is one of the biggest factors with fertility as well your fertility yeah, yeah. five declines pretty rapidly um so it's all yeah linkedin isn't it process um yeah but once so once you get to the ivf stage you're going to have already had an awful lot of tests and treatments and investigations um and yeah like i say it, it's not it's not an easy thing to go through you've got the physical side of it yeah and what it's doing to you mentally as well um, and as a couple because obviously there's a lot of you know stress going on around around this time as well anxiety and yeah. the, the unknown and you know should we be doing this should we not be doing this and it's financials huge. it's absolutely huge I mean I can see here probably now because obviously we've come out the other side of it and because obviously I talk about it now on a daily basis <laughs> it gets easier to talk about but it doesn't take away from what going through it how hard it was to go through it it's it's I mean it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever faced at this point in my life um and yeah it it, it takes a massive toll um and it's it's hard it's hard to put it into words and it's hard to make people understand who haven't been through it I think yeah. it's hard I mean that's what we're trying to do as a charity we're trying to raise awareness we're trying to let people know how difficult it is, um, you know, how some of the things people will say in passing, like what they think might be a well-meaning comment um, or, you know, or just something like, you know, a completely, you might think you're making conversation when you say to someone, so, so you're married now, when are you gonna have a baby? The, actually the person on the receiving end of that may have been trying for two years to have a baby and it could be absolutely devastating. And just to hear that question, it it hurts it puts you on the spot you don't know how to answer it um and like I say the person that's asked that question thinks doesn't think anything of it yeah um, no I can totally get that something that we're trying to raise awareness of is you know for other people that don't go through it to have a bit of empathy and understanding and um just think about it from the point of view of the people who are a bit more it, it's very interesting. I mean, I've done a series of podcasts now um, on all 
so many issues I've done suicide and bereavement and um, cancer, living with cancer. And, the, you know, we, we come down, it, it seems to be like um, a, a nice theme, but, you know, some of these comments from a person who's just sort of on the street, oh, how are you doing? You know, exactly that. A, a really flippant comment remark, not even flippant, because as a person, you are well-meaning, but what that then is perceived by the person going through treatment um so for example um Lorna when we talked about cancer she's saying well people just say oh yeah but you need to stop eating sugar why are you having sugar you know (laughs) don't really think sugar is right now my priority right now and I'm not sitting there eating a sugar you know but it is again it's these people want to help not always so quite often when people are going through infertility that's the thing people want to help so they try and offer they'll offer stories you know it's like my next door neighbors friends girlfriends brother <laughs> you know oh they went through it for two years and then it was when she just decided to forget about it and go on holiday she fell pregnant yeah. and you know you don't know what someone's going through they might have had both their fallopian tubes removed they're not going to go on holiday and practically producing eggs it's just just things like that like you say it's well-meaning people want to help but they need to think a little bit more carefully about how what they're saying could be perceived and actually the you know one of the best things you can do to help is just to be there and just to say how are you and just you know take their lead and just listen and be there and it's not offering advice it's not about offering advice it's not about saying it's going to happen that's another one that's really hard it's when someone says i know it's going to happen for you it's like you don't know nobody knows and that's one of the biggest fears going through it you know that's hanging you know you can go all through it you can go through it for years and years and years and you may not come out with it with a baby um so for that person who you know isn't going through it to just turn around and go I know it's going to happen for you I suppose I suppose one of the things that you know what you know I've done quite a lot of work on resilience and and mind building exercises and um you know psychological side we've we've spoken about in various podcasts as well and it's about the person who's undergoing any kind of treatment and we'll will take IVF for this particular podcast and about learning to, for want of a better word, detach from the emotion. Because as you say, we can't always change what people are going to say, but what we can change is how we can react um, by by not allowing those things to impact on us. Now, I know that's easier said than done, um, but it's that kind of thing saying, well, actually, and you want to be really, you know, your, your blanket head to come in. I really actually am having problems with fertility issues at the moment. And and you and by building that strength, by possibly like like what you've done, creating a network of like minded people and people that have gone through this where they can gain that strength from. Because the only way you I'm assuming you can gain internal strength on issues like this is to is to have people that have gone through this so they don't feel they're so alone. Absolutely. Because you can come to one of our support meetings and feel safe in the knowledge that you're not going to hear those kind of comments and that you can say how you're feeling and you can air your frustrations um, and know that it's going to be understood and met by people who, who, yeah, like you say, have been there there as well and get it. 
So when you set this up, I'm assuming all the way through this of your own personal journey, you didn't have any official support. I had friends who I found who were going through it, but that's what was, you know, that's what I said. That's what's tricky about it because it's hard to open up and it's hard. And, you know, you can be met. People can feel awkward talking about it. Um, so when you're going through something so sensitive to be met with awkward reactions, sort of flustered reactions, people that don't know what to say, they look down, they kind of make a silly comment. It's really hard to open yourself up, but obviously to find those people who were going to be helpful and who did get it, you had to weed through the other responses as well, if that makes sense. So what's mm. nice about Tiny Seeds is that you, we've got a private group on Facebook that people can join from Jersey. So instantly, you know, everybody in there is going through the same and understands it. You can come to our support meetings and you can find people there who understand it. And you don't have to necessarily, if you're not ready to open up publicly and you're not ready to be sort of going through all of your friendship group, trying to find the people who do, do get it. Um, you know, you can find the support that way. It's like a safe space really, I guess that offers. I'm, I'm assuming that actually we don't have to just do this for Jersey people because actually I'm, you know, it may be that they don't know anywhere in their jurisdiction or anywhere, but they could come to you for support online, um, being able to help people, isn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, you may not be able to give the practical help of, of where we get, where you can go in your jurisdiction, but to have that support can be online and anywhere because it's being able to have that ability to talk to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, are, absolutely. And um, as well, though, they hopefully a lot a lot of jurisdictions now are setting up similar similar okay. groups. In the UK, there's Fertility Network UK, and I think they've got um, similar kind of local support groups dotted around. Um, so, yeah, well, absolutely, we'll support anybody that contacts us. Yeah, first. yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, hopefully people will be able to find similar kind of things in their local areas. So IVF, we've gone so into your little personal journey here. So you said that it took what many years to get pregnant. So how many times did you have to go through this IVF process? So it took us six years um, in total of trying. So we've got eight years between our two children. Um, and so we did a different kind of treatment, which um, is not done so much in Jersey anymore now, which is called IUI, um, which was, again, it was injections and scans, um, but rather than be, so in IVF, they extract the eggs from your ovaries, they put them with the sperm and they fertilize and then they put them back in. Whereas IUI, the process, basically they wash the sperm and they put it, um, straight into the uterus um, and hope that egg and sperm will meet by themselves. Um, so I think we tried that, I don't know, I think we did that five or six times, I think. Um, and then we, um, we tried, you know, it's, it, like I say, it's not, uh, an infertility journey is not just IVF. We did five cycles of IVF. Um, we did two cycles in Greece and we did three at a clinic in the UK. Um, but there's the, the financial side of it as well. IVF is yeah. expensive. Um, we had to save up for every every cycle of IVF that we we took. So um, you know, we might have had six months between cycles because we were trying, trying to, to work say, out yeah. exactly how we were going to to pay for the next one. 
um, become. And did you did you at any point think, you know, I've got one baby. This has got to stop because there's so much strain going on our marriage. So that's another thing that people say. And there's so much guilt around secondary infertility, so much guilt because you are so aware that you have one baby. Um, but it's not, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that it's not incredibly difficult to be in that situation and wanting another. I mean, you want a sibling for them. And yeah, obviously, I think whether you've got one baby or no baby, you get to that point where you're yes, going, yes. Can, we keep, can we keep going through this? Can we keep doing this to ourselves? And, you know, I did feel like we got to that point and, you know, we wanted to exhaust all options and try all different routes. And there was, you know, if that last cycle hadn't worked, there was one more thing that I wanted to try, but actually, I, I don't know, you know, it's incredibly individual and personal as to at what point you say to yourself, you know, I'm going to step off and go in a different direction now, but you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's just, yeah, it's not an easy. No, no. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm looking at this from the outside in and thinking it's a traumatic experience. I mean, you know, it, and it, and the, and the good that's come out, I mean, obviously you did conceive and you have got your daughter, but you know, the good of what you've done by setting up, um, an organization that is now you know able to support people going through this mentally and physically um the financial element of for couples to go and try and raise funds and etc cetera, etc cetera. I'm, I'm assuming can you help not with it I'm not saying from a fun perspective but you help direct them into how you can they can get I mean is there any way people can get funding I don't know is it or do you have to raise them and here in Jersey is um, very limited um, and it's something that we we hope to change and hope to see change and obviously with today's changing government we you know hope to see some improvements. Um, Jersey is very very far behind in what is offered to um, to people going through IVF. I mean the nice guidance is for three fully funded cycles of IVF um, for couples under the age of 40 and one fully funded cycle of IVF for couples over the age of 40. In the UK, it's a postcode lottery. It basically depends on whichever CCG you live in as to how much treatment you qualify for. Most CCGs offer at least one fully funded cycle. There are a few that offer the full three. Scotland um, offer the full three fully funded cycles. I think another couple of the CCGs in the north of England have just increased theirs to three fully funded as well. Um, at the moment, Jersey's, as far as we know, Jersey's the only place in Europe that offers a means-tested um, funding. And okay. bar is set so incredibly low that I'm not aware of anyone that's ever qualified because you have to have a minimum combined, uh, sorry, a maximum combined salary of th no more than 34,000. Oh, hold on a minute. This is that is absolutely ridiculous. Bearing yeah. in mind, I think and now I, I'm I I don't know if I should be able to quote this because but the the, the minimum national, wage. I don't think yeah. minimum wage even. Yeah. So I think two two people on full time minimum wage earn more than that. So it's not um like I said, we're not aware of anyone that's ever qualified. Um, we have had various talks with the government about improving this and changing this and 
you know, that is expressed that they want to and they hope to and that changes will come in. We're still waiting as to when that will be. Um, like I say, we hope to see these coming. Um, it's right. very, it, uh, honestly, I've been having, well, I've just had a conversation. We've been talking in schools. I've been talking in schools. As you know, I talk about the menopause, but we, we were talking about um, contraception. We were talking about uh, endometriosis and women's health generally. And I have a vision. And my vision is that there will be a, a center. Um, and I would like to have this everywhere, but let's just go for Jersey to begin with where we have a women's health center. Now we have Le Bar Center, but it only has a certain amount, um, and it can only offer certain amounts of things to do. What I would like is a full center for women and children, women, girls that can come along and these things be offered. You've got specialists. We have a menopause clinic that in fact, um, all 50 year olds get offered a free MOT for want of a better word. Um, whereby they can come in and, and be tested and looked at holistically. Um, and the same, you know, we talk, we've, we've got the mammograms in now for 50, but we, we now want to look at this. But something like this is another area where under this women's health banner comes an issue whereby, you know, women can have a support. So you can have a support meeting there every month where people can go and there's a cafe or I just, I see this vision where, where we have this and, and we also talk about obesity and about prevention because women are normally what we call the food gatekeepers. So they want to make sure that they've got that right. Um, so, so many things and, and listening to you now. Yeah, sorry, now I was just gonna say, that's another area that, um, you know, we find people struggle with because they, um, BMI can be a factor in fertility. Um, often if they're going to offer funded IVF, they won't offer it to somebody with a BMI that's higher than 30. So yeah. you go into the clinic and be told, your BMI is too high, um, but then people then what need to do that. Exactly, what do they do next? And quite often in that case, people will have polycystic ovaries. So, you know, their weight is just a symptom, perhaps, of yeah. what, they're, what they're going through. So to, to not offer then, you know, it needs to be saying, you know, if they're saying, well, we, we're not going to treat you at this stage because we would like you to reduce your BMI, they then need to say, you know, this is where you go. This is who you talk to. This is the classes you can do. This is how, how you know. Uh, completely. I, I, I mean, I've, I saw this in 2015. I started my mission to open an, uh, a women's and children's obesity centre over here. And I was granted with the states thinking, well, we're looking at diabetes type 2. We're trying to deal with COPD. And I was like a little lone voice in 2015 saying, hang on, guys. These are all symptoms of obesity. Let's get to a cause. Let's get to the, that nitty bit about trying to do this because this in fact can lend itself to so many problems. I mean, we, we're seeing the production of gastric bands now, but you can't get a gastric band if you're too obese because obviously they won't put you under surgery when you've got that. And that's men and women, to be fair. But, you know, again, exactly what you're saying there. This is, you know, when we're looking at, at something such as fertility and the same things being given, which I probably hadn't even realized, um, then that's a huge, huge issue. Um, and we need women to have a, be able to have practical advice and not just a nutritionist. And again, you know, or should I say nutritionists in our, in our state's departments are very, you know, there's probably two or three that go out and, you know, it's all about being able to get out to the masses rather than 
maybe to 10, 10 people or 30 people a week. Yeah. Um, so what you've set this up, so let's talk now. So you've, you, you're going through all these phases. So what are your primary functions of the, you know, we've talked about support. Um, is there anything else that you're doing or are you primary there as a support group? No, I, we're, we're doing a lot. <laughs> we're doing Go on, a lot. Then talk about it. I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, we just to, well just to finish off this then, because I know that I know that um, you've got to go. Just give us three things that you would advise for anybody looking and and uh, having to go through this path. Um, I would advise, like I say, seeking support. Um, find find people who are going through it. Find people who you can talk to. Um when you're on the healthcare side of it, advocate for yourself, I would say, um, is one of the big ones, you know, do your research, look into the treatment, understand what, um, what's being offered to you, understand your options, ask questions. Um, oh, sorry, I'm trying to think of a third yes. thing. <laughs> no, that's fine, no, that's fine. Look, you can- People who are listening who are not going through it, um, educate yourselves, yeah. take a look at our website, take a look at our social media, open your minds and read through the stories and um, try and understand, you know. What it feels on the other side. Yeah. Well, if anybody's listening and do have issues, it's Chloe and you'll be able to find a director, uh, website details on our directory. Um, please feel free to look and it's tinyseeds.je. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you very, very much for your time, really giving me an insight into the world of um, IVF. So thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. For more information on the topic that you've just listened to, please visit my website, www.vitality40plus.com. Thanks for listening.